0: Welcome to Queers & Co, the podcast on self-empowerment, body liberation and activism for queer folks and allies. I'm your host, Gem Kennedy. I'm a transformational coach as well as creator of the Queers & Co zine and community. Hi everyone. It's been a couple of days since lockdown was announced in the UK due to coronavirus and we've already been self-isolating for a while, so we're getting used to being at home, but for all sorts of reasons, it's a really difficult time. Um... Before I introduce you to today's guest, who I'm sure you're going to love, I just wanted to let you know about some things that I'm organising to help support anyone who needs it right now. So from next week, I'm going to be holding a free weekly sharing circle on Zoom. I haven't decided on the name yet, but it will probably include quarantine because it's my new favourite word. Um, Which makes it feel just slightly better. (laughs) Um, Do anything but make it queer. And um, the sharing circle is going to be a space for queer folks just to share what's going on for them um, in a supportive group setting. And essentially, it's a great opportunity to connect with other queer folks, especially at a time when so many of us can be feeling isolated. If you'd like to find out more about that, then just search for Queers & Co in Facebook and request to join the group. Um, Apparently, it doesn't always work if you use and in a typed form, so try with an ampersand and hopefully it will work. Um, And also, if you would like one-to-one support, I'm offering coaching on a by-donation basis for the rest of March and April. So essentially, it's um, a 60-minute coaching session or um, EFT, Emotional Freedom Technique, in exchange for a donation, no matter how big or small. And if you can't afford to pay, then a testimonial or a recommendation to a friend would be amazing too. Um, I just really want to support as many people as possible, and now more than ever, I feel like coaching can be so useful but it will feel like a luxury to a lot of people so if that's something that maybe otherwise would be unaffordable to you then I'd really love to support you if you just head over to my website uh, gemkennedy.com or to facebook to the group quiz and co um, and there'll be a booking link also in the show notes so you can head there um oh and one last thing I've got some really beautiful postcards by Amelie Roche um she was in the first Queers and Cuisine. and if you'd like me to write one for you you'll have a beautiful postcard and a message from me on the back you don't even have to read it it's more about the postcard um just let me know so send me a message or an email with your address and I'll put one in the post box for you also the post box is about three doors down from my house and I live in the middle of nowhere so I'm not going to be encountering any people um just in case you were wondering so um yeah, hopefully some of those things will be of use to some of you and um I'd really like to introduce my guest. It's another great episode if I do say so myself. Um and my guest is an award-winning playwright performer with seven solo shows under her belt, but she's perhaps best known as the founder of Smut Slam, a global network of community dirty storytelling events. In addition to hosting regular Smut Slams in 12 locations around Europe. Um, which has also recently converted to weekly online broadcasts for the world. So you should go and check those out. Um, My guest delights in creating extremely niche performance projects for her home city of Berlin, including such awesomeness as Yikes, a celebration of awkward performance, Nom, a community storytelling open mic about food, and Mindfuck, a pub quiz for sex geeks. She loves to play around at the intersection of heartfelt, awkward and loud, and I'm sure you're going to love her. This is Cameron Moore. Hi, Cameron. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Oh, it's good to be here. Thank you.
0: <laughs> so it'd be really great if um, you could just tell us a bit more about you and, and how you identify.
1: Uh, I am a playwright and performer and um, facilitator of SMUT. Uh, that's kind of my professional uh, designations, I guess. Uh, identify as an activist in a lot of ways around sex and fat and sex work. And um, just a middle-aged lady that didn't really get the memo on how to be middle-aged sometimes (laughs) is how I'm feeling like, yeah. Hmm.
0: And so there's lots to explore there. Um, I'm just wondering how you first got into activism.
1: I first got into activism when I was 16, actually. Mm. Um, This was back in the mid-80s, so 1986. And... Uh, nuclear war was uh, a kind of a constant looming thing uh, for i don 't know how it was for other places, but certainly in the u s um, uh, there was this constant sort of just it just hung over everything right and uh, I started a um, a peace activist group at my high school in a very conservative town and that was probably also the time when i started shedding my introvert tendencies and and found myself becoming an extrovert in in support of causes that i felt strongly about before Mm -hmm. that i was very shy and and um you know definitely still the same geek that you see before you today but really shy and not wanting to put myself forward and and you know nuclear disarmament was something i felt so strongly about that i just made myself go out and do things and i think that um i i definitely had become that extrovert in real life but uh, uh most of the causes that i'm loud and brassy about are are uh, their causes they're not just me it's 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 things that i feel strongly about so that all started when i was 16 it's gone from from um you know uh, nuclear disarmament to queer rights i came of age as a little baby queer um, in the late 90s um when queer nation was um, big on a scene in North America. And so I moved through that into fat activism as well in the, in the mid nineties in the San Francisco Bay area, which was kind of the epicenter at that time for North American fat activism, certainly. Um, so I've been fortunate to be in areas where there's kind of high visibility activism already happening that I could get involved, get involved with. Hmm. And the activism has definitely, um, moved around it's not to say that I leave those beliefs behind but where I put my activism energy um, has definitely changed over time a lot
0: yeah and how has that developed like in terms of what you were actually doing what forms it took and then also the different themes
1: I would have to say at first it was it was almost more of an of an intellectual Uh, pursuit. Not abstract, but just I used my words. I wrote about it. Sometimes I would speak, but mostly it was in writing, Mm -hmm. either uh, in paper writing, print writing, or, you know, when the internet came about, then I would uh, do that. I, as a journalist, when I started in the mid nineties, I would write about, um, fat acceptance for a magazine there in the Bay area. And so it was all very, um, Yeah, I would say like almost of the mind. It was activism of the mind, which is an important kind of activism. I'm not dismissing it, but Mm. uh, that's where I got my start a lot. Um, And then uh, what really shifted for me, one thing that really shifted everything for me was when uh, I started dancing at the age of 28. Um, And it was just purely – I'll confess, it was it was at the beginning. It was my last-ditch attempt to try to lose weight. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I tried out some some things at a gym in where I was living, and um, I couldn't stick with the gym at all because gyms are terrible sometimes. <laughs> uh, but I was exploring the different classes I offered, and I found a hip hop uh, cardio hip hop class. And 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 there it, it was a rocky start to begin with. Certainly, I definitely almost did not continue, but my teacher, uh, saved me. My teacher came out and said, look, don't give up, give this a month. I guarantee you're going to love it. Mm -hmm. And she was right. And I kept dancing and then finding the, finding the, the strength in myself to just dance and move and and function as a dancer was, um, life changing for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it, it helped me get really into my body in a way that I had not in the decade before that. Um, That that was all the life of the mind that I was, I was not really in and present in my body and dancing and learning how to, how to get my body, do what I wanted to do artistically and functionally was uh, such a mind blowing connection for me to make. And it changed my sense of fat activism. It changed my, um, sense of am I worth being on a stage Mm -hmm. is is, do I have value as a performer Um, and what where does that value lie and what can I do as a performer Um, through dance I found that I wanted to perform before that I was always in kind of the orchestra, right? I never uh-huh. danced, I was playing French horn in the orchestra in, in, in high school, you know? Uh, so I was always backstage, off off the side. And through dance I found that I could perform, I could be present and that my presence was striking to people and entertaining and good. And so I have to say like the pure act of learning to, to dance and feel good in my body that way uh, changed has affected almost all the activism that comes after.
0: Yeah. And so I don't want to dwell on it, but I guess just quickly, you mentioned that that was your like last ditch attempt to lose weight. And mm-hmm. then through getting into the world of dance, did mm-hmm. am I right in thinking that then you became more involved with fat activism and obviously, you know, left behind that desire to lose weight?
1: Um, yeah. So, I mean, I was, just to get clear on the, on the timeline, like even while I, even while I was, thinking, oh, I'm going to try doing this gym to get fit. That's in quotation marks, right? Um, Only in retrospect, do I realize that that was my last ditch attempt to lose weight. I was really, I was really covering that under layers of euphemism. I just want to get fit. Um, I had gone on for the whole, like, you know, eight or nine years before that, like definitely intellectually involved in fat activism, but this was, this was kind of a uh, me being sneaky to myself, right? Mm. And after this, I definitely was like, oh, I'm fine like this. This is great. I can do this. Um, and uh, it, it definitely, at that point, uh, shifted entirely away from, uh, I need to, oh, I'd like to get fit. And like, oh, I'd like to learn how to do a double pirouette. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'd like to... I'd like to learn, I'd like to train myself so I can drop to the floor and do this move and then get back up quickly. And so that's not, for me, I, I learned to um, associate what it was that I wanted to do with the training and with, the, with that kind of focus rather than me like, I need to lose weight and then I can do what I want to do. Yeah, absolutely. And so just jumping, learning that I could bypass this Uh, this other harmful, ridiculous step and like go straight to the, this is the shit that I want to do. That's a very radical piece of knowledge that we can have, that you don't need to set aside things for this mystical, magical day that will almost certainly never come. Just go for what you want now because life is too short to spend it going after that, that, you know, mirage.
0: Absolutely. It's so empowering as well, that mm. idea of like, oh, hold on, I have a shortcut here and I just don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so then you went on to write, I think you said eight plays um, of different themes and you've won awards for those. And what has that been like? I mean, you've gone from, I guess, being very much behind the scenes, potentially as a journalist. Yeah. Um, to, You know, having your work, people come along and you win awards for it.
1: Some, some stuff we' skipping for the sake of space, but you know I, I did work for a, quite a while doing community dance and theater with with fat people with other fat people in size diverse groups yeah. uh, and that was more that was strictly community based we weren't um like striving in a professional way uh, in that in that group uh, when i when I went off on my own and started doing the solo career and working on those pieces, that was um, a real, it was a real test of personal stamina. Cause before that I had been working in a group and I had other people to work with and I had other people's bodies to work with as mm. a canvas for like dance works or whatever. And when, when you go off on your own to do the performances, then it's like, it's when you're on stage, it's all on you. So, um, I definitely, I would have to say I, developed a rather um, strong streak of independence or contrariness or I don't, I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not always easy for me to work with groups now because I've gotten so used to being solo. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it, it also does is it puts me and my body uh, in focus all the time on the stage. And not that people are focusing on that, but that's just the nature of the stage. Yeah. and that's the nature of the stage lights and so uh it becomes yet another step of like i am worth this i am worth uh your attention i am worth the uh, awards i am worth uh listening to because um the things that i do can change you and so coming into that kind of coming to accept that kind of power uh has been um great and challenging but also great
0: yeah and you're continuing to make work. So how has your work evolved kind of with that learning, like learning that you have power and that people are captivated by you when you're performing? <laughs> um, it, it, I go, I go
1: back and forth around. So, so like themes, what I've tried to do is, is uh, go with the themes that um, are, that definitely interest me at the time that I'm not trying to, stick to one area because that's professionally where I'm known, but I will confess the first, I don't know, like five or six or seven, like a good chunk of my pieces out, uh, they are about sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, that is to say, they use the language of sex to explore other things. So um, that's uh, that's been an interesting thing to put myself out there as Uh, a a person who has a voice and experience in those matters. Sometimes when I'm performing in festivals and I'm talking about sex and there are mainstream people in the audience, you can almost feel their sense of disbelief. Like who, who does she think she is? um, She's a fat person. How can she possibly have anything to say about the, the subject of sex and desire and lovers, multiple lovers and, you know, uh, people don't always get my authority at first um, when I used to i I still do occasionally i 'll do stand up comedy uh, as a as a way to like reach new audiences i'll do short little pieces uh, that are more funny and uh this this thing that I was just talking about people's disbelief that I could have anything to say like one time I got up on stage at a at a comedy open mic, and the room was quite full, but it was <laughs> This person was loud enough for me to hear them from all the way in the back. They said, "Oh my god!" When I got on stage, and all I could think of in the moment was, "Like I know it's amazing, right?" <laughs> but that's the sort of thing where people don't quite—I don't know what they—I don't know what was going through her mind. But like the idea that someone could come up and be on stage and speak with authority about these subjects—it um, kind of is mind blowing to people in. That in itself is enough to kind of already push people. Mm. So I guess what I mean by that is like in a lot of my plays, I don't directly address my body necessarily as as a fat body. I'm just present Mm. as I am. Um, When I was working with community theater, we did mostly stuff that was explicitly about fat acceptance and Mm -hmm. body positivity. And that was the space that I was in then. When I went on to do solo stuff, most of my stuff doesn't really talk about it uh, at all. Uh, I'll I'll mention it in passing, but it's never self-deprecating. It's just mentioning it as a thing. Yeah. Um, And I feel that for myself, the space where I am now is this sort of place where... Um, well, okay. So I don't know if you know, um, Heather McAllister, do you know that name Heather McAllister?
0: No, I don't think so.
1: (laughs) Okay. So she founded, she was one of the kind of pioneers of, of fat acceptance in, I would say second wave, maybe fat acceptance in the San Francisco Bay area, North America. And she did a plus size burlesque troupe that I collaborated with very early on. And she said once, um, that um just the act of being on stage as a fat person without uh being the butt of a joke or deprecating yourself, that in itself is revolutionary
0: yeah i've had I've heard that quote, so I must have come across all that before I, there's different yeah there's different
1: kind of places where that comes, and that's definitely um that's definitely paraphrasing, but that's the sentiment that I have been approaching a lot of this with yeah is like it's enough for me to go up on there um stand tall deliver what i have to say about sex or relationships or about the geek cultures or about um mostly yeah those are the (laughs) or about or about phone sex and sex work and just deliver that without a whole lot of reference to this body and it's not that i'm ignoring it because i'm up there in in sometimes in clothes that are revealing sometimes quite naked um I'm up there and and moving through that, but I'm not going to spend my time talking about it very much because I don't spend my time worrying about it very much anymore. There are other things that I want to talk about too, and I have just as much authority to talk about those things.
0: Yeah. And I think for some people, it's the idea of, um, that fat people can't be three dimensional. They have to just, right. you know, they're constantly explaining about their fatness or, yes. um, justifying it before they can actually then do anything that they actually want to do. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right.
1: It's one of the, it's also one of the reasons why I, cause people have asked me, why don't you audition for other plays and why don't you get out there? And I'm, you know, um, because I know what's out there right? Mm. I know what's out there for people my size. I would be cast in jolly friend roles. I would be cast as a comic relief. I would be cast for roles that are 20 years old. me. Uh, I want to write the work that I perform. I want yeah. to create the roles that I, that I can, that I can, because no one else is going to create these, these roles for me. Mm. So,
0: yeah. And you mentioned, um, that your activism has taken different forms like around uh, fat and around sex as well. And yeah. I just wondered where, like, where did that first come about for you? Where did you suddenly, I mean, do you identify as being sex positive? Is that a, a term that you'd use? And if so, when did that come about? Um, I well, I used to identify as, as sex positive. I mm. now
1: call it more sex aware. Okay. Um, so that, um that people like for me my my feeling about that is like sex positivity carries with it the burden of being positive mm. all the time and and i know that that's, that's not true but it's it's kind of the tinge that it's taken on and i prefer sex aware in that like being aware of like all the ways that sex can impact our lives it can be negative it can be positive and there's room under that umbrella for the whole range of experience so um uh, yeah, I, I guess in, in in more mainstream environments, I will say sex positive, but I prefer for myself sex aware. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, it's not a term I've heard before and it makes so much more sense. It's the same with body positivity. This idea of like you're supposed to love your body all the time just is mm. completely unrealistic. Whereas, yeah. yeah, if it just makes it more neutral, like it's a, a subject that I'm aware of and, and working on, that sounds really... Um, yeah there's some kind of relief in that
1: (laughs) yeah I I I think it gives it a little more room um for Mm. body positivity what I what I prefer always is like um uh like fat liberation you know like body liberation and fat liberation because that's where the body positivity movement kind of grew out from and they conveniently forget that that's where it's from but like fat liberation um is is my kind of background there uh, where you're talking not about the need for individuals to find their own self-help solutions, but the the need to address systemic
0: um,
1: structural problems and inequities and stigma and, you know, things that really fuck you up, you know? Uh, So in the, in, in sex, in the world of sex awareness, um, yeah. Uh, Yeah. So um, I, I would say, that I've always been like kind of uh, along that path. Um, So, you know, I I came out as queer when I was 19 and kind of moved through that space and and thought of and and figured out that I might be kinky quite late in life, like early 30s, Mm -hmm. late 20s, early 30s. Um, But really everything came to a strong A strong head when I started doing phone sex work uh, when I was 39. Hmm. And um, I ended up learning a lot at that job. And I ended up, I would say, developing most of my current kind of perspective around like uh, how people can be fluid and how people can change and how can, people can want one thing but do another, and mm-hmm. all these things that 's a lot of where I developed that perspective on for, for sex awareness was through my work doing phone sex
0: yeah, and what was that experience like for you? I, I guess there was a lot of learning in that yeah,
1: um, it
0: was um, seven
1: or eight years of rather intense um, immersion in other people's heads right I Mm. mean that's what um, phone sex is whether you're getting paid for it or not you're in someone else's head and um, I was um, spending a lot of time there being kind of confused by it because um, my adult sex life has been uh, a pretty mixed bag in terms of being with uh, uh, women being with cisgendered men and um, I honestly had not spent that much time in the heads of men And (laughs) there I was like, oh God, uh, all day, you know, um, all day being on call and talking to men about, about the dicks, you know, and about what was going on in their heads. And, um, uh, it was, I I spent a lot of time blogging about it and and talking with other people about it and trying to figure out what the hell was all this stuff, because there's Mm. nothing out in the world that prepares, we don't talk about our inner sex lives very much at all. Uh, in our world, we talk about how to do sex better and how to do it stronger and make it last longer, but we don't talk about what's actually happening in our heads. Yeah, and that's where I was spending a lot of time when I was doing the phone work, and that's what I wrote my first play about. Uh, the, the The phone work is actually what led me to my first solo play, mm. um, "Phone Whore." So um, uh, it, it was a very intense, um, like life as art as life period for me
0: yeah Mm. and so people who um maybe haven't come across whether it's sex positivity sex awareness or whether it's just people haven't come across um the concept of sex work as a thing Mm. you know Mm. um it's important to make a distinction i think that people will for example use the word prostitution to talk about Mm. sex work and that that is a very negative way of of discussing yeah. what it is, and yeah. so this idea of um, lots of left left leaning people are uh, left leaning, but they're not pro sex work, and right. um, I just wondered if you'd have anything to kind of say about that to those people.
1: I'd say to those people, I'd say like, get it together. Like people make choices. There is no ethical, uh, there's no ethical sex or kink under capitalism. You could almost say it's like, we make choices to deal with where we are. So Mm. people who have problems with sex work are really having problems with capitalism is what's going on. Um, and we can, we can object to all work that's done. Um, you know, we can work to, you know, it's like, you don't have to like your work to just do your work, mm. you know. Um, people talk about this—the the horrible conditions and feeling oppressed. It's like I—I ha- I felt so oppressed in my nine-to-five jobs. Mm. I felt I left those jobs crying more often than I ever cried about my work on phone sex, you know. Um, so, you know that—that's—that's that's that on that. Basically, it's—it's it's like I think um, I, I don't—I don't have a lot of time for those people. It's like we, you got gotta—you gotta respect people's. Um, given, given the overall kind of constraints of capitalism and there are many and, and they are heavy. Um, you have to respect people's choices and their, their best decisions for themselves where they are, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and support workers as workers, give us a good safety net in society and, um, and, and, and let people sort some of that out for themselves. You cannot just assume that, you know, best for people you don't.
0: Yeah. And this idea of maybe wanting to save people from yeah. doing something um, yeah. like how, how could people actually be a good ally to sex workers rather than, you know, feeling sorry for them in some way, or like it's some yeah. kind of moral thing that needs to be solved.
1: hmm. Um, you can be an ally by, um, lobbying for decriminalization. Mm-hmm. You can be an ally by listening. You can be an ally by, um, f- supporting, um, Workers' rights and unions in in all fields, including sex work. Um, those are the ways that you can be an ally. Um, there's a, a really good TED talk by Juno Mac um, about what sex workers really want. Uh, and I think you can look it up TED. It's TED talk. It's TED. It's a TED talk. Yeah, Juno Mac. Okay. Uh, what sex workers really want, and and she lays it out quite clearly. Like. Um, the case for decriminalization, mm-hmm. other ways that sex work is handled around the world and why decriminalization is the best option. And this is something that, um, you know, international organizations have done their studies and they agree. But people get really wrought up about it because, you know, because they do elevate sex as something beyond what it is. Mm-hmm. They do hold it sacred in a way that is just not appropriate. It's just, you know... Um, People get wound up about it, and um, and they need to stop.
0: <sighs> yeah, and yeah, I have so many, yeah. <laughs> so many thoughts around that. It's so it's yeah. so interesting, um, mm. and I'm really intrigued that you've um, talked about being sex aware, and I think that's definitely mm. a term I would prefer to use going forward. Um, mm. But I guess historically, I've identified as being sex positive, yes. and interestingly people around me very much aren't (laughs) often Uh, and I mean you know I have access to a community that is but um it's very interesting noticing that sex is still something that is so uncomfortable for people to talk about Mm -hmm. or so avoided and it's just funny, like kind of straddling those two worlds, maybe where you're in, in some ways you're with people who are like kinky and really pro, um, pro sex. And then on other areas, people who just won't even talk about it. And it's completely taboo and uncomfortable. Um, yeah, I don't even know what I'm asking. I guess I'm just saying that it's it's weird. I, I, and I hate to, I hate to go back to this because actually I'm not
1: a very well Research in the area of economics and and socioeconomics, but I feel like what you're talking about here, you're talking about um, uh, people's kind of external behaviors, you're talking about people's um, social behaviors, you know, that kink Mm. is a community, that queer is a community, Um, queer doesn't equal sex necessarily, but you know, kink and sex play and party party, those are like community activities and community events. You're also talking about People who dress up you 're talking about people who got the gear who go to the events and that 's like an economic activity. These are things mm. that require resources and money, but more importantly they 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 are often um, these are uh, um, activities and and kind of displays that are are mediated by money that this is a, a something that we are told we should like uh, if we want to be part of this group and then we do it to be a part of the group and it's it's it 's less it's as much I should say about like, where, where do we want to belong? And as it is about what's actually going in our heads and our hearts and our groins, you know? Um, and so people are used to just like spending money and going out to events and they're less used to like, Oh my God, I have to dip into this and actually express what I want and use my words and say Mm -hmm. the thing. This is why consent is often um, still really hard for many people to handle because we are not mind readers and we are most of us not so good at reading subtle body language and body language can be misleading anyway. Um, when it comes to like tapping our own truth and expressing it to others, we don't have a lot of training or experience in it. And it's not something that our society hasn't really valued very much. So of course, we're not that good at it. And of course, people feel awkward and weird about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the fact that sex education is crap. (laughs) That's crap. (laughs) It is crap. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even like I'm a parent and seeing it through the lens of now, you know, as a parent, what do I want to pass on to my children? What do I Mm. want them to know and feel prepared for? And, Mm. you know, consent is a huge thing in our family. But it's so interesting noticing that where you're in that position and you realize you actually know fuck all from, (laughs) from, Mm. you know, the the traditional paths that you would expect to learn things from, you know, whether it's from the people around you from school, it it just does not prepare you at all. It doesn't, it does not. Nope.
1: The people who are the most like consent driven now are either very young folks who are, who are, who have grown up in those rare households where this is a strong thing Mm. or they're, you know, we're, we're going to therapy and finding our own way to it, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, It's all that so, undoing yeah. that is just, yep. it takes so much yep. time, doesn't it? Um, yep. And I know you had, um, I was watching a, a YouTube video that you did earlier where mm. someone had said um, it was, it was around the kind of guilt and shame potentially that people might mm. be feeling around doing something. And you were saying, well, like, is that because you don't want to do the thing or is it because you feel you should be doing it? What, what is it? Um, mm. And I guess it's that unpacking of we have so much, in in a way, you know, some people more than others, but generally I think a lot of people have trauma around sex, whether it's an mm. uncomfortable experience, being shamed for some kind of kink that they didn't realise was a kink at the time, or, mm. you know, and there's so much unpacking to do. And how, how has that been for you? Like, is it something you had to unpack? Or have you been, uh, did you grow up maybe in a, in a more sex-aware family? Or?
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no. I grew up Mormon. I was raised Mormon. Okay. Yeah. um, I left the Mormon church at the age of 14. Mm. I stayed at home still. I was still living at home for another four years. So I had to deal with that, that fallout. But uh, I was raised Mormon, and uh, part of the reason why I left the church is that I was already starting to unpack the bullshit uh, at the age <laughs> of 12 or 13 and going, wait, I like this. Why is my church like this? Um, that, sex was definitely part of the reason why I left, because I'm like, this makes no sense. Also, this feels great, mm-hmm. and I don't see any problem with this. So that was um, very much uh, um, an that was a very sudden and abrupt way for me to get out of this sex negative culture. Mm -hmm. Um, I won't say that I like, no one's perfectly self-actualized. It's a process, not a, not a destination. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, I've had several levels of having to work through my own stuff and, and definitely sitting down and consciously either journaling or talking to a therapist or um, talking intensely with a couple of supportive friends. You have to take the time to get that shit out of your head in some way mm-hmm. uh, and examine it. You can't just um, go with the flow. I think that a lot of times um, where, some, where sometimes it's problematic um, and what would you call sex positive events or whatever Is You have people who are encouraged to just go with it and do what you feel. And, um, and, and, and there's, there's not as much kind of ex- self-examination
0: mm. as I
1: would want. Um, and, um, that can be dangerous because then you just have a lot of like feeling, feeling, feelings and like, wait, what, what actually is going on? You know? Um, so, uh, I personally keep checking in with with what I want, what I desire. I keep checking in.
0: Yeah, and I guess for anyone who's looking to work through that stuff, um, definitely a good port of call is consent to go along mm-hmm. to just non sexual consent workshops. Um, yeah. learn you know you can read as well it doesn't have to be a workshop but just to be in a place where you actually learn like if someone says is it okay if i touch your hand you can Mm -hmm. actually say like yes no maybe or yes in this way not in this way it's it's revolutionary i think ah
1: okay yeah i've never i've never done one of those but i have heard about like um yeah i have heard about them and i definitely know that uh learning to assert boundaries happens in every part of your life not just sex for sure yeah yeah
0: mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. and so um with that in mind with sex in mind you um talk about being a facilitator of SMUT, I think you said at the beginning, <laughs> yes. which is awesome. And wow. um, so you have these different streams. There's two different things, actually, that I was really keen to talk about. So SMUT Slam mm. is this amazing event that you run in all corners of the world, almost. Yes. Um, <laughs> and also Sidewalk SMUT, which I think is just ah. genius. Ah, um, thank you. And I would like to find you on a street near me, please. Mm. <laughs> um, mm. So really quickly, if you could maybe tell everyone what Sidewalk SMUT is, and then we can talk about SMUT Slam.
1: Yes. Okay. So, sidewalk smut is 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 a kind of a side hustle that I do when I'm at festivals or I'm at home here in Berlin for any uh, for any length of time and the weather's good. Uh, I will take a manual typewriter out on the street, set it up with a little tiny table. I'll have some signs um, taped to the table that say like uh, abrupt erotica smut while you wait. In the bigger festivals like Edinburgh Fringe, I'll have like a big pull up banner behind me that says that same sort of thing. And then I just type away and I wait for people to come up and ask what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> um, and that's really just, that's the start of it. And um, um, I, I, do, I do, I guess you would call it flash erotica on commission. So I interview the person for a couple minutes. Uh, they step away for 15 minutes, they come back and I have a half a page of a dirty story that I think they would like based on the interview.
0: Amazing. And what are the reactions? (laughs) (laughs) It's so cool. (laughs) Yeah. Um,
1: Now, the reactions of, like, I don't see the reactions of people who are just walking by. I had the good fortune a few years ago to have a photographer who was really interested in photographing the smut stand. Uh, he came out and, and took pictures of people's reactions while I was typing because I can't mm-hmm. see those people. I'm yeah, focusing on the page. Um, and oh my God, it was fantastic. <laughs> it was just the shock and the, the laughter and the disbelief and all that stuff, the amazement is like, ah, that's exactly what I want. Uh, because these are people who don't stop, they just keep going. But I've done something to their consciousness that day. Mm-hmm. It was like, this is what is this thing? What? And then um, the people do stop. Um, and get a piece done. I have a money back guarantee. I've never had anyone take me up on that, you know, in <laughs> eight, eight or nine years of doing it. Um, so in that sense, the reaction is very good. But I think the process of having to tell me their thing, having mm. to, to talk with me about their sex life, because uh, I asked them, it's not about like, it's, some of it's about fantasy, some of it's about like, what kind of sex toys do you like? Some of it's like, what are your favorite things? The number of people who when asked what their favorite three, like three things they like to do in bed, Mm. they get really stumped. (laughs) And it's like, I know they're sitting there having a good time in bed, but they've never like sat there and said like, what are my favorite things? And it's like, it's, it's, it's that this goes along with what you're saying about how people are not used to talking about it. And so this act of, of talking about their sex life with a stranger on the street, I feel so honored when people trust me to do that. And, Mm. and that's a a, a really awesome um, uh, space to occupy with them, you know, because for those three minutes, it's like, I very much, I'm not trying to if there are passersby and they make comments or whatever, I just let them go. Cause I'm talking to this one person or this couple, you know, yeah. and, um, and the, the kind of attention that, that like people aren't used to that kind of serious, uh, uh, attention given either. I'm listening to you seriously, not laughing, not mocking, not, yeah. not, not smirking or being smug. I'm like just taking it in because I have to write a story about it and you know, when you leave so uh, they're not used to that kind of focused respect for yeah. their own sex lives and and that's fantastic
0: yeah i can imagine that's really powerful mm. mm-hmm. both to experience and to to facilitate for people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah i could talk about it more but let's talk about ah! Smut Slam.
1: <laughs> well i mean i was just gonna say for sidewalks mud if you want to find me um I'm, I usually am in Edinburgh every August for the Fringe oh, Festival. And so if, if people are there and they want to look for me on grass market, um, that just say, go to the grass market. And like, okay. I'm, when the weather's good, I'm usually out there. So yeah. Great. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so the other thing, what well, you mentioned the Slam. We're talking yeah. about the Slam. uh, an, an, That I do even more around the world than Sidewalks Month um, because Mm. it's an indoor activity. (laughs) (laughs) All Um, (laughs) weathers. All weather. Um, And that is, um, it's a community dirty storytelling open mic format um, where I, as the host, uh, encourage audience members to come up and tell their own uh, real life sex stories. So it's five minute sex stories. there's usually a theme. We have judges. We have prizes. Uh, we have anonymous uh, confessions and questions that people can throw into the fuck bucket. So it's just a bucket <laughs> for. Yeah, I'm good with naming things. What can I say? <laughs> um, but it's 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 a way for people to participate without having to go up to the microphone. So when they put in anonymous things, at least that way, it's like they're still building the event because I will read those between stories. Mm-hmm. So I I can express your. Truth or your questions, even if you're feeling afraid to, right? So it's still out there. Um, and then the stories themselves, it's just, I have no idea what's going to happen because usually I'm doing them in places where I don't know hardly anybody, if anybody at all. Mm. And so it's a real magical roller coaster ride um, that um, over the years of, of doing this since 2011, again, this is a lot of my. Uh, good Stuff started 2010, 2011. Um, I have developed a strong code of conduct for Smut Slams, you know, a kind of guidance and rules for uh, storytellers and listeners. And um, that's kind of the thing that keeps it from descending into mad chaos and anarchy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because, again, because we have strangers coming from all walks of life with all different kinds of backgrounds, with all different kinds of experiences, and uh, me stating up front, here's what's acceptable, here's what you should reconsider, here's what absolutely is not allowed, yeah. and here are the consequences if you go against those in your story. And um, it's really clear, and, um, and it's fantastic. Once you set the container that way, and set people loose to share what they what they want. It's amazing what comes out. And these are yeah. non-professionals for most part. These are not performers. These are not uh, public speakers. They are just people who, for whatever reason, felt safe enough to come up and put their name in the hat. And now they're telling a room full of strangers.
0: Yeah. And I know you say that you've never had an evening where people have just not contributed anything. So there's never been just right. like crickets.
1: <laughs> no. Nope, there's never been. Now, there's, uh, there has been... There have been evenings where it starts out very slow,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: and in those cases i I always start to show out with one of my stories. I ask one of the judges to be ready with the story. Mm-hmm. I ask one of the crew members, one of the like my co producer or one of the volunteers, if they might like to tell a story so we, I try to get a few things ready to go mm-hmm. just in case and there 's the confession bucket, which is almost always flowing with stuff you know (laughs) overflowing um but so all it usually takes is for like one or two stories to go down and then people are like oh oh i can totally do that um i deliberately for my stories that i tell i often will tell stories i've never told anywhere that i've Mm. never practiced that i just remembered 10 minutes before i got up on stage i will just tell it because um, that keeps the room, that keeps the bar low. That makes people feel like, oh, I don't have to polish the story. Yeah. Um, I can polish, you know, I got my plays, I got my monologues, I can polish up a, a set of stand-up comedy just fine. I know how to do that. But, but for the purposes of Smut Slam, when I'm trying to encourage people to just feel moved by the spirit and get up there and say something, it's better for me to bring my raw, unstudied life yeah. story
0: you're just modeling that for well. everyone else to do. Yeah. yeah.
1: And, and so I get up there and tell, and then maybe there's one person who had entered to tell a story beforehand, but in intermission, there's always going to be five, six, seven people, you know, um, who, who suddenly feel empowered to step up with their own. Amazing. And that's amazing. Yeah. It yeah. is really amazing. Mm-hmm.
0: And so you've run it. Um, I know there are, I think, did you say 17 chapters? Um, um. Across, 18 by now I oh, think, 18, 18 amazing <laughs> <laughs> so in the UK and um, Europe North America and Australasia and you run I yes. believe 11 of those um 12. events or oh, 12 now okay <laughs> so <you're> super busy <laughs> yeah, um yeah. and you've traveled obviously across different regions doing the events so yeah. do you notice like variations in what people are coming out with or are there like really big universal um universal themes or
1: um I don't I think audiences self-select pretty well for my mm-hmm. events generally, for my plays and for Smut Slam. Um, so it's not gonna be um and you're not gonna get prudes generally. Yeah. Um you might get shy people, but you're not going to get people who are completely disgusted with sex, for example. Yeah. Um, and who comes out and what kind of stories come out, that depends a lot on who I'm working with in that area. So mm-hmm. I'm based in Berlin. That's fine. Berlin is its own thing. But in other locations, say, I have someone representing more of the polyamory scene, the ethical non-monogamy scene in one city. And I have... Uh, so in Munich, for example, my co-producer is the producer of a big BDSM and kink film festival there. So all of his, many of his local contacts are kinksters, right? Mm-hmm. And so that is going to determine, up in Copenhagen, uh, my first contacts there have been a lot in the burner community. So there's a lot of burners that show up at, at the, the Smut Slam there. What What yes. is a burner? I don't know. Oh, sorry, uh, Burning Man. Um, so Burning Man is a festival, uh, that's oh. in Nevada and, okay. um, it's like, you know, it's like art and music and, and sex and camping out in the desert. And a lot of, uh, uh, other burns, a lot of other festivals have come up based on that model. Oh, um, okay. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess just saying that like the, the flavor of the event depends on who the local co-producer is, uh, mm. but a lot of the same stories, a lot of the same themes do come up it's it's a lot of first times it's a lot of um awkward moments and fuck-ups or quotes fuck-ups or sometimes actual fuck-ups <laughs> um <laughs> first times and fucking awkward those are like the two <laughs> very common themes for uh what the kinds of stories are that people bring because they stand out in people's heads you know like whether it was yeah. a good or bad first time whether it was a uh something that was super awkward um, that always stands out If you're having uh, Just a steady stream Of awesome sex Like that story Isn't going to stand out As much as if occasionally You have something Truly terrifying <laughs> happen. <laughs> yeah Yeah That's But true. we do But we and do welcome stuff From all All across the The range of sexual experiences As long as it's contentual uh, mm. it's, it's all good Right
0: Yeah mm-hmm. And so what's next with that I mean Obviously it's growing still So Yes Yeah Um
1: I don't know what's I don't know what's next with it I mean I uh I definitely I'm always interested in trying out new cities mm. uh, coming and bringing the smut slam to uh new places I can't guarantee that it's going to be a regular thing in those places but um I am testing things out um I um am also looking at doing it more in in a festival environment yeah that'd um, be as so opposed fun. yeah as opposed to like a standalone event but like within a festival and there are concerns that come up around um protecting space and keeping it you know um from people just kind of meandering through as happens in festivals uh but there are ways and there are yurts and there are you know there are things Mm. to do around that um i am very interested in bringing the smut slam to a more mainstream audiences because i do have a line with um polyamory people and kinky people and uh, you know the spoken word people I know how mm. to find those people but like I want to get it out to um I guess I would just call like ma- mainstream audiences and make that talking about your sex life something that is safe
0: yeah to do. We'll just have those conversations in less um less expected mm-hmm. spaces mm-hmm. so I'm conscious that we're we're coming to the end of our time together yeah um, I just wondered what your if you've thought of anything that you're really enjoying at the moment that you would recommend anyone else check out and definitely some, uh, they should come along to Smutslam.
1: Uh, well, yeah, they should come along to Smutslam. Um, we, we talked about this earlier. I just like, I, I have, I've been so one track um, on developing the Smutslam route. It's really difficult for me to, to find time to like um, unplug and enjoy um, I know I'm looking forward to seeing the movie little women. Uh, that's something that I'd like to get on there. Um, and, uh, uh, other, other than that it's like I just I just want to get back home and, and bake some more you know oh, so yes.
0: I, I have sorry. amazing food updates actually I'm oh, always intrigued in your what you've eaten <laughs> and what you've cooked that yes. day
1: <laughs> yeah um so yeah so I guess um I oh, I, dre- I dread questions like that actually because I, I end up feeling like such a, a megalomaniac around like the one thing I get so one track around performing in Slam slam and that's not a humble brag that's really like I worry that I'm not as three-dimensional as I want to be, but you know, there it is.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it, it's just also when you love what you do, right. It's Mm. hard to draw yourself away from that. Mm. Um, so, and I, anyway, I think little women and baking are pretty good recommendations.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Preferably together. (laughs) Yeah. And the baking, right. Like I find, um, there is something, I have always found, um, feeding other people, Uh, whether it's my partner or like large groups of people, I've always found that very um, therapeutic and meditative, Mm. you know, whether it's just chopping up vegetables um, or stirring things or the the motion is very calming to me. And then the satisfaction of feeding someone well um, is very healing to me. So if I have any pursuits, it's like, let's get, let's get, let's feed people well, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And um, we mentioned earlier that people can support you by coming along to Smutslam. They can also mm. check out any new plays that you're releasing um, in future. Mm. And I know that you have a Patreon. So how can people support you through that?
1: Yeah. Uh, Patreon is um, right now it's, it's set on a, you could just set like a monthly amount uh, that mm-hmm. you would throw down and at, it's under reconstruction right now, but Uh, basically I am asking people to kind of support the touring activities of Smut Slam um, to uh, enable me to just uh, travel. So I'm not always having to buy like the earliest train ticket out of somewhere for the cheap price, you know, or uh, it's because (laughs) if I'm doing, I'm doing um, I am doing like seven or eight slams a month. Right. Um, Yeah. And that's a lot of travel. And I realize if I don't want to burn out um, that I need to, occasionally, uh, not get up for a six thirty train, for example, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, so these are the things that, that would, um, that, that like monetary support goes to, and also, um, further development activities like possibly doing a podcast around Smut Slam yeah, and also, also cool. yeah. And also getting a grant consultant to work with me on, uh, German national and also international European wide uh, grant project. So I definitely there's expansion and development in mind. Um, and Patreon is one way to kind of get me on a more sturdy footing to, to to go even bigger.
0: Yeah. And I think people can make one-off donations through that. They as well, can also. They? Mm-hmm, yeah. So mm-hmm. if you've enjoyed listening to Cameron, then maybe you consider going and making a one-off donation, even if you yes. can't make an ongoing one exactly exactly Mm -hmm. and um everyone will be able to find the links to the things we've talked about in the events in the show notes um yeah and they should come and check out your work are you on instagram and facebook I am on
1: Instagram now individually my smut slam chapters right there like I've got locals that I'm working with in all these different locations and some mm-hmm. of them are just, some of them are more Instagram savvy than others. And most of them are more Instagram savvy than I am. So I have my own personal account and then you'll find like smut slam Berlin and Smutslam Cardiff and like it's starting to start up in, in a regional way there's no Smutslam International uh-huh. uh, mostly on Facebook people can find me doing a lot of my stuff on Facebook I know that's really old school but whatever you know get, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's there it's
0: there <laughs> okay amazing thank you thank yeah. you so much for taking part it's been brilliant to chat to you I've really enjoyed it thank you I have too hope you enjoyed listening to Cameron's episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. You can find out more about her on her website, CameronMore.com, which is C-A-M-E-R-Y-N. M-O-O-R-E she's been holding in place of uh, the regular dates that would be in different locations around um, Europe and the rest of the world, she's been holding online smart slams and they are so fun and you can join in from uh, the comfort of your living room, you don't have to join in or you can just watch if you prefer to but it's really really fun and um, Cameron's just asking for donations in return for taking part because this is obviously a, a main source of income for her so do check that out And I think that's everything. Stay safe and look after yourself and I'll be back next week with another episode. Bye!